You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this week. First off, I want to apologize because this is coming out a day late. However, I realized it was Memorial Day weekend here in the States, and I've been working like a million billion hours a week since NAM, so I needed a little break, so apologies for the tardiness, but I wanted to take this weekend and try to relax as much as possible, although I definitely still worked because that's me. And speaking of that, This week's guest is Mr. Chris Wiseman. He is in a band called Currents and another band called Shadow of Intent, and he's a producer, and, and, and the list goes on and on. He is also a workaholic. So as you can imagine, we got along famously. In fact, we talk a lot about treating your band or musical project as a business, and I know that's something that has came up on this podcast many, many times. But I think it is very important to remind people of because I think it often gets cast aside in favor of the more fun artistic things that we do as musicians. And while I definitely understand that, there is a time and place to grab a hold of things and make sure that you're steering the ship the right way. And Chris and I get into that a fair bit as well. It's a really, really good episode. I think you're going to enjoy it. And if you like your metal on the heavy and more progressive side, you should definitely check out his projects and check him out on Instagram and all that good stuff. Those links will, of course, be in the show notes. And speaking of business, well, this isn't really business. It's just me asking a favor. I haven't requested this in a little while, but if you could do this favor for me, it would really help out a lot. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, whatever platform you are using, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or something else, if you could just take a few moments and please just pause this real quick head over to that application and leave a review for this podcast. If you could leave a star rating, if you're on Spotify, that's all they allow. If you could do that, that would be great. If you could leave a review on Apple, that would also be fantastic. It really helps out a lot. Even if you've left one before, if you could leave a fresh one, update things, that's always good. It just helps people realize that this is an ongoing show and the reviews being current and fresh are always a good thing for the algorithm, for all this stuff. Even though podcasts don't quite have the same algorithmic push that everything else does, it's still nice to get that up in the charts a little bit and just see a little more activity there beyond just your download, which is also very much appreciated. So if you could do that for me, that would mean a lot. All right, let's just get into this episode. That's enough business for now. Let's do it. Let's get into this episode with Chris Wiseman. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have Chris Wiseman of Currents. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Where is uh, where is here for the listeners? You look like uh, you may be in yeah. a hotel or something. No, right? You'd think mm-hmm. so. Right now, I'm at uh, Mr. Smalls in Pittsburgh, so it's uh, a theater for the last day of a tour I'm on. Um, this is what one of the dressing rooms looks like. It's kind yeah. of a, I don't know, Victorian or whatever you call it. Yeah, not half bad. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some gnarlier dressing rooms, so, you know, that one looks yeah. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. How's the tour been going? Really good. Um, spent like two and a half weeks with Lorna Shore and then have been headlining these last one and a half weeks. Uh, while they're off doing their Gojira and Mastodon tour. Oh, not half bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, I've talked about that, that band a lot uh, on the last few episodes. Uh, their trajectory has been insane. I mean, they've been working really hard for a long time, but to see their, uh, 
their particular yeah. brand of heavy music get accepted by the masses the way it has has been really interesting to see for the kind of the whole scene really i feel like it's a yeah. one of those ri- rising tide lifts all ships situations yeah it's very special i'm happy for those guys yeah it's very cool well, you guys have had quite a ride yourself you know i feel like uh as currents is is like a lot of people's favorite band that n- needs more attention in, in my opinion like you guys absolutely ripped for a long time uh what's uh how did the band come together and what's the what's the whole story there's a lot of speculation out there but hearing it straight from sure, the yeah. mouth is is more interesting absolutely so currents you know was founded in 2011 um and it was kind of um members from another band called we came with plague um and they reformed under the name currents and put out a single and then they existed for about three years and um i was a fan of the music and their lead guitarist had to leave the band um and they had announced an EP that would come out and they needed someone to write it. So the drummer Jeff pulled me in. Um, nice. And since then everyone that was involved has all left. So <clears throat> I'm kind of the, uh, father of the next generation of currents and all the, yeah. the founders are gone. So I'm, I don't know if you'd call me the founder of the new currents or, just a replacement or whatever but yeah i've you know been doing the band for you know almost 10 years now it's been nine Mm -hmm. years uh and so kind of over time you know people would leave and we'd uh try to get equal or better people to fill the spots not to discredit any of the old people but we're definitely very happy with the people we have in it right now. Um, and yeah, we have Ryan who's joined pretty much a few weeks after I did. He's the other guitar player. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have Brian, the singer who joined in 2015. He's done vocals on all the music since then. Uh, we have Matt who took over for Jeff on drums. So took over for the guy that brought me in, um, in 20, 18 and then most recently we have christian on bass who joined in 2019 so now we have um this group of what it is now mm-hmm. how is it when you kind of have like had to slowly rebuild almost in like a ship of theseus type of way how yes. was that with how did that come across with the fans of the band was that a a like a teething process or were they pretty accepting right away? How did that go? Um, so I would say accepting right away. Um, and it's funny there, there was an artist manager almost, um, worked with, but didn't end up, but he said something that I remember on a call I had with him. And he said, if you're, you know, going to replace a singer, it's better to do it early before, you know, you've been around too long and gained too many fans that are going to yeah. miss them. Um, <laughs> Very true. And, you know, our old singer did have fans, but I don't think it was like to the scale of where we are at now. So it's definitely good that I, that happened early. Um, and yeah, we released a song very, you know, within months after getting our new vocalists in and it was received very well. And I think, um, what he was doing was received better by, you know, pretty much once we put that song out, we already had management interests, label interests, booking interests, and he kind of filled in all the pieces compared to before. Nice. Very nice. I think that's good advice for any endeavor, really. <laughs> if there's a, cha- a change that needs to be made, especially a big one, the sooner you can make that change, the better. It's never going to be easier later yes it's never going to be you know it it, sometimes it's like he said it's better when there's a little less attention to go ahead and make that change whatever it happens to be 
you know, I'm, I'm a partner in string joy guitar strings. And we, we have that debate all the time. Whenever there's a change that we want to make, whether it's a packaging style or, or anything, mm-hmm. it's always, it's not going to be easier in the future. It's not going to be easier when we have more dealers. It's let's just rip the bandaid off and rip get the bandaid. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it, if people are going to, some people are going to like things and some people are not going to like things and there's just nothing you can do about that. Staying the same is usually not the answer for any, yeah. any kind of endeavor, I don't think. Yeah, it's all about how can I make the future work sustainably, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was and it seems like it's been the right decision for you guys, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it is definitely like the ship of Theseus, like you said. I only know what that is because of WandaVision. Um, oh, that's all you but, need to know. That's, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> but um, yeah, it uh, it's definitely a very different band from when it started, but um, it doesn't seem to have been a big problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since you've seen you know, all of the iterations basically of the band has the writing process changed or has it been basically the same since you joined? It's been exactly the same. I'll, uh, go into logic pro, make an instrumental, send it to the vocalists and he'll put vocals on it. And then there may be tweaks from internal or, or external parties from there. But, um, that's pretty much how the writing has been since I've joined. So as for, you know, obviously you've been playing guitar for a very long time and you were playing guitar before you joined the band. What made you pick up the instrument in the first place? What's your journey like been like with the instrument? It was, uh, I owe almost entirely to Guitar Hero 3. Uh, really? A game, yeah, a game that uh, friends were talking about and that my older brother ultimately ended up showing me. Um, and before then I was only really familiar with the Beatles and whatever was on the radio. So I didn't really know what I'd heard of Metallica. I may have heard of Slipknot, but like Killswitch engaged, disturbed Iron Maiden. I had no idea what that was. So that mm-hmm. game, uh, really gave me a big interest in those things. Um, that style of music, um, so, yeah, uh, Guitar Hero 3 really did it for me. It put me onto a lot of stuff, um, and I, you know, it was very inspiring for me. Yeah. What What was your first guitar? Do you remember what it was? Oh, I, I won't ever sell it. It's a, uh, Squire Stratocaster, black and white, and it cost about Classic. $150. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad got it for me at daddy's junkie music uh an old music chain uh back when i was 14 years old so wow um right now the input jack doesn't seem to work so i'm gonna have to repair it at some point but i yeah i'll never throw that guitar yeah the first one's always special yeah especially you know you you think back to (coughs) trying to trying to fret things and like how uncomfortable and weird it is and it just becomes second nature after a while it's such a weird thing to do with your hands but (laughs) yeah so many of us fall in love with it yeah so so did you get heavy into gear at all did you like go down the pedal rabbit hole or anything like that definitely not as much as many of the other people i know so my gear journey was pretty much after i got that guitar I bought a Spider 3, the Line 6 combo amp, 15 watt. Um, and then when that wasn't able to compete with, you know, I started jamming with drummers. I got a Black Star 2x12 combo. I think I still have that. I might be lending it to a friend. I don't remember. Um, and then playing with more bands, seeing everyone have uh, half stacks and didn't want to be the only band with a combo amp. I got a uh, PV cab with a PV triple uh, X head and eventually changed oh, I the, forgot about those. Yeah. Um, 
and that lasted for a little bit. And then I found out about Axe Effects and became very interested in the idea of that. So I sold those to get the Axe Effects with a Mesa cab. Um, and at some point before that, I did like get a wah pedal. I got a delay pedal, a noise gate. But uh, seeing the Axe Effects have all that built in, uh, I stopped using those things. Um, technically, the wah pedal I could still use, but I haven't really been writing music with wah. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, none of that. Um, but yeah, the Axfex Ultra has served me well for 10 years now. Um, I wow. just bought an Axfex 3 three months ago, but literally for 10 years, it's been Axfex Ultra. Yeah, I was talking to actually the most recent episode with JB from August Burns Red, and he was also an Axe Effects guy for a, a long time. And he, I don't know if you share the same opinion. I haven't actually played with with the three yet, but he said the three is a big upgrade from the from the. I think he was on the two, if I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. What do you? So, what's your take on it? So one of the main uh, things that drove me to upgrade was one. So I didn't have to keep changing the aspects between my two bands. I could just keep one with each band. Um, but also the ability to connect with a computer, the ultra doesn't have a USB port and I'm mm -hmm. not sure if there's some compatibility issue with using the MIDI to USB with my operating system. Um, I'm just not able to edit on my computer with that so being able to edit on my computer is kind of nice the xbox 3 i can sync up um but as far as like the tones i'm getting um it might be too soon to say because i definitely really like all my ultra sounds but um like i think my lead tone maybe is in a better spot on my three but i'm still catching up with my clean tones and maybe my rhythm tone on the three so yeah still uh work to be done probably sure yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of things to edit a lot of things to change around it's pretty incredible what you can do in those axe effects units it's really an impressive piece like you can go just as far down the rabbit hole as you would in the physical world maybe even further in some respects that's yeah. that's been the thing I've had to learn about the digital world of become, you know, coming from me being Captain Two Ant Man over here is there's things you can do digitally that are literally impossible to do in the physical world. Yeah. And that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, those things kind of scare me. Like when you get to the XFIX page with like 30 different parameters and half the definitions I have to look up. Um, so I try to stick to the most basic of knobs. Um, and, you know, try to get the amp right, the cab right, um, any EQ right. And then beyond that, uh, gets a little scary. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I do. What's your guitar looking like these days? I imagine you're going straight into the Axe Effects, it sounds like. But what is the guitar itself? Yeah. Um, so I've been with Ibanez for four years now going on my third you know renewal with them coming up um so i have a lot of rgds and rgas ibanez procedures um a couple s bodies just you know whatever looks good on their site i'll take a look and ask them about it and yeah they've been an amazing company it's kind of one of the most unreal parts of my music career so far is just like how well they've treated parents. Very cool. What does, uh, does your younger self look at that as, uh, what, what would your younger self think about that? If you were to go back and be like, Hey, you're going to have a deal with Ivan as one of the biggest guitar companies in the world. Would you have believed it? My younger self was so arrogant. So probably, probably I'd be like oh yeah of course <laughs> um but definitely like my slightly older self after i got over my enormous arrogance would you know even yeah just like six or seven years ago i'd be like 
I don't know where that seems like, because I I was with ESP um, before Ibanez, and it was um, obviously a great company as well, but I didn't get as good of a deal with them, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, just being involved with both companies is a very big milestones for me. I would I would say. Very cool. Very cool. So you talked about some of your earlier inspirations, the kill switch and all that, like finding that on Guitar Hero 3. But what what is inspires you now? What has been kind of your journey as a listener? Um so I I've been very uh impressed by we'll call it a the new wave of modern metalcore. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's kind of been led by, I guess, Architects and Bringing the Horizon. And then under them, you kind of have bands like Northlane, Silent Planet, Invent Animate, um, Void of Vision's a really cool one. Um, just ones that um, go for just a super big wide stereo width and have like ambient textures on top of that and it really makes listening sound like a full experience like a like a 4d experience immersive you know so mm-hmm. that um movement i've i've always found to be really cool um just trying to give that kind of life energy to music <coughs> Yeah, very cool. Have you ever, speaking of immersive, have you ever experienced anything in Atmos that seems to be the the word on all producers' mouths right now is Dolby Atmos. Have you ever experienced that? So I was with one of my friends. It's been over a year, but he did play some stuff for me in his car. He got some songs on Atmos. Um, yeah, I haven't spent enough time listening, but it you know, the concept sounded really cool. And if, if I'm in, most songs are not mastered for that, they have Correct. to be kind of remastered and re-released. And so you don't really have the ability to listen to most music like that. Um, but I, I have checked out some stuff with him, but I haven't really gone back to it. So it's a good reminder of some homework I need to do. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting <laughs> thing. I, I had an interview with a producer out in Nashville. He's also a pretty popular YouTuber named Colt Caperin. And, you know, he's pretty plugged in down there. And I guess the word on the street currently is that uh, Apple Music is moving towards not not playlisting anything that isn't uh, mastered in Atmos, which is really? an interesting... Yeah, which is an interesting conundrum, right? Because most places don't have the ability to do that. And it's not exactly a, a simple fix to get your studio certified to mix and record in, in Atmos. It's a pretty big deal. And uh, it's a it's kind of a concern for a lot of independent artists because obviously that's, like you said, that's not the way most music is recorded. That's not the way most people have listened to music, but it seems right. to be the way that they're trying to push that. I don't know if you've heard about any of that or is that uh, new information? I'm no, not sure. I, I definitely haven't heard about the playlisting thing. And as far as I know, our, you know, upcoming current album, I don't think we necessarily got separate at most masters made for it. Mm-hmm. So if that is true, then maybe we're not ready for it, but I guess you could always get re-released remastered yeah um, you, you can always do it again but yeah it is it's kind of it's concerning because what's so been so brilliant about the last several years of independent music is you know the accessibility really like i i was able to release an album myself and people actually found it and listened to it you know and yeah that that seems if that's the <laughs> way things are going to trend that seems to be a little bit harmful for the independent musician so I don't know. It's kind of a weird, uh, a weird world we find ourselves in. Yeah, I could see that becoming accessible too, though. Yeah, like any barriers that are created can also get shattered 
in a matter of time as well by you know advances and ease of use of all that technology. Mm-hmm. That's very true. That's very true, especially as fast <laughs> as things progress these days. the The main concern yeah. is like right now the uh, there's headphones mastering situa- or solutions for Atmos that are pretty accessible, but they're not that good compared to the okay. having the actual the, all the monitors. Uh, I got a sample of that at Sweetwater here last year, and it it really blew my mind. It was like, oh man, like hearing this in real life and watching the the engineer be able to take like on a kind of a graphic, like take and throw something to like the upper left hand corner, and you can hear it travel over there. It's just yeah, it was trippy. Uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if home Vertical system. Panty. That's yeah. pretty crazy. It was it was a it was a wild thing. I just when you thought you'd heard it all, right? I was like, wow, this yeah. is this is new. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I should look into that more. Yeah. So do you do a, a lot of the since it sounds like you do a lot of recording by yourself, especially during the writing process, do you do a lot of mixing, mastering, or engineering on the records? Yeah. So I, I pretty much have been handling most or all the engineering um, on this last current record, I did all the tracking minus the uh, the drum tracking. I like to outsource that, so I don't need to build a uh, drum room in my house. Um, yes. <laughs> but this was the first current record where I took on all the vocal engineering instead of just uh, guitars and MIDI only. Um, and then. I haven't really mixed much of my own stuff yet. I did a, I do have a project with Ryan from Fit for a King where I did mix all the songs that we released. And I, you know, do run a business where I, um, uh, you know, do songwriting, producing, mixing for other bands. Um, Oh, cool. But I haven't, I haven't yet been brave enough to, you know, mix, occurrence record just yet. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4800 hertz sample rate, and 99 preset locations in 33 banks, and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my pocky? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. I would I would like to yeah. one day, but right now I might not be in the right headspace. I totally understand. When you outsource the drums, do you have the drummer actually go to a studio and record those acoustically, or does is he playing a MIDI kit, or how do you guys usually do it? Um, there there have been MIDI drums in the past, uh, but that you know would just be typed in by me. Um, this is. Yeah, this is all a studio where it's all acoustic. Beautiful. 
Yeah, that's a completely different uh, situation. I've done a little bit of drum recording in the past, and it's so dependent on the room that if you're if your space yes. isn't right, it's very difficult to get a good recorded acoustic drum sound. Uh, I mean, good subjective, right? Sometimes, sometimes bad is good depending on the context. But <laughs> for what you typically think of in rock and metal, it's it's very room dependent. And I don't know yeah. if a lot of people are aware of that. Yeah, I think it's you know I'd definitely rather have a program drum than a badly recorded drum. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that's a controversial opinion, but uh, when, you know, the goal is, you know, that big um, cinematic texture I was talking about, uh, I definitely don't want to have any low fidelity sounds anywhere unless, you know, it's what the song calls for, but. Uh, for something as important as drums, you know, the foundation of everything, I think it's important for those to be as pristine as we can get them. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have, when you're, you know, you're working on these records, do you have, some people have reference tracks they go to that are other bands or other artists' recordings that they will go and directly listen to while doing some of the engineering parts. Do you have anything you refer to? That's like, oh man, I love the guitars on this, or I love the drum sound on this. How can I get something close to that? Do you go through that process at all? Yeah, yeah, definitely had reference mixes. Um, so the guy that you know makes the last Currents record has uh, mixed Chelsea Green quite a bit, and he has nice. a a song he did with them called Hostage, and that song he just achieved a very impressive stereo width and you know um level of aggression on all the transients and everything so i really like just how everything is sitting on that record um that song specifically very cool very cool <clears throat> have you ever had any pinch me moments you know where you're, you're like i can't believe i'm playing at this theater I used to go to as an audience member, or I can't believe I'm talking to this person, or insert moment yeah. here. Do you have anything that really stands out? Yeah. Um, every year it kind of, you know, a, a couple small ones happen. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not a big Jackass fan, but I am familiar with it. Um, and I played this festival called Blue Ridge Rock Festival. And Steve-O, who's one of the Jackass guys, was standing next to me the whole set. And nice. talked to him a little after. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Because I remember looking at him and I was like, this guy looks familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. And then after the set, everyone occurs was like, yo, did you see Steve-O? I'm like... Oh, that's who that was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that was a pretty cool one. Um, even just every time Kearns plays the home menu, the shows, you know, get bigger and we got to do a really cool Christmas show. Um, that, you know, was almost at a thousand people. Um, nice. Which for us was pretty cool. This upcoming tour, we'll be doing. This upcoming tour, honestly, will be kind of a pinchy moment too, because now, you know, potentially doing a thousand people in cities we don't even live in. Oh, that's pretty crazy to me. Um. So yeah, just you know, whatever we get to do, big shows like that, mm -hmm. that's cool. And then obviously supporting much bigger bands like the Ghost Inside doing like 10,000 people in Worcester was a really special show because that was the first show after the pandemic wow. um, that we got to do. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's really cool celebrity meets. One of my favorites was actually before I even had a band. Uh, John Petrucci did like a guitar workshop clinic type thing. Mm -hmm. I got to meet him. And I'll never forget how friendly and down to earth he was. 
because I always tell people if I was as good as John Petrucci, there's no way I'd be that nice. (laughs) (laughs) Be like, be, uh, imagine becoming so arrogant when you're that good. But yeah, he's, he's just like a, a nice gentle man that, uh, very humble guy. So I, you know, that's always resonated with me that no matter what you do with your career, you can always choose to be nice to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so yeah, I'm still, you know, waiting to meet Metallica one day. That's kind of always my goal <laughs> that I haven't done yet, but me too. Me too. Yeah. At some <laughs> point. Um, which is funny because my, uh, fiance's mom just met them. Like, a she's, she's met them many times. She's like family that, uh, has worked with them in the past. So she gets to hang out with them sometimes. And That's I've cool. been along for one of those trips yet. Uh, but one day, one day, one day so g- going back a little bit. I just thought of this while we, while you were talking, you've, yeah been a part of a band that's had more lineup changes than most people and so you can probably speak to this from from both sides if you are somebody that's trying to come to an established band what are some obviously you have to know how to play you have to know the material but beyond that what are some things that you look for when auditioning new members yeah totally um this is one probably everyone will tell you. Um, there's like a personality factor of getting along with the person that has to be there. Um, whether that be common interests or just being like a very kind down to earth person is super important. Um, you know, not being overly entitled or selfish, um, team player, that kind of stuff. Um, one controversial opinion is to some degree, they kind of have to look the part. Um, they Mm -hmm. just, you know, are very, you know, more or less look way different than the rest of the band and not in a way that you feel like serves the band. Sometimes it works and that can be a deterrent. Um, yeah, other than that, you know, songwriting is a plus being able to contribute vocal, you know, vocals to it is a plus if you're not the vocalist doing backup vocals, um, really, or just any skills that can be helpful on tour, whether it be, um, versed in technology, um, audio or video, graphic design, mechanical stuff. Those are all pluses, but yeah, definitely, being able to play the stuff and being easy to get along with, I think most people would agree are the top two. Mm-hmm. And that's always the people I see get to join established bands and say with them is those two boxes are always checked. Mm-hmm. I think that goes across career fields too. Like I think being oh, good at your job is, is a given and that just almost goes without saying you should be good at your job at least decent, but being cool and just being somebody that people can (laughs) at least tolerate being around at the very least, if not in fully enjoy being around is, uh, it's important. That doesn't mean you have to be fake and doesn't mean you have to like put on a a smile at all times, but you certainly can't be a jerk. And I, I think that that will, I think being generally nice to people, uh, I know for a fact that it kept me from being laid off at a couple of my old jobs back yeah. in 2008. <laughs> so it's yeah. underrated, I think, just being easy yeah. to get social along skills, Yeah, social skills are definitely a skill that, you know, like many skills can be learned. Some people are more, uh, it comes more naturally to some people, but there are definitely principles such as the golden rule that mm-hmm. can help you find your way and just making sure, you know, you're considered others and you wouldn't do something to someone that you wouldn't like if it was done to you. Um, and even just finding things that even if you don't mind, if they're done to you, that most people wouldn't like it done to them. Um, 
just for example, some people have different standards of cleanliness um, and trying to find some common ground where if someone is, you know, cleaner than you, you try to keep up with them, even if you don't mind being messy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or, you know, don't stink up the van, as, at least as little as possible. It's probably a good yes. one. <laughs> yeah. People like, you know, most people like it smelling good, even if you don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> so, going back to one of the other things you said might be semi-controversial, the, the aesthetics, having to look the part. I yeah. think I think a lot of people across the board want to say that aesthetics don't matter, whether you're talking about how somebody presents themselves in a band context or like designing how a guitar pedal looks. And I couldn't <clears throat> disagree with that more. I have actually I'm, I'm really connected in the guitar pedal world, and I know people who have taken the exact same circuit redesigned the graphics, put a different name on it, and it sold better than it did in the other version. You know, and the sonic differences were, there were none. It was literally the exact same circuit. And so I think people buy with their eyes more than people want to admit. And I think that also applies to bands. I mean, that's how we used to shop for records, right? Like, this looks like something I might be interested in. You know, and I think looking the part, I don't think that should be too controversial. You know, I don't think yeah. that's a, that's not a mean thing. It's just what it is. Yeah. Some people might not like to admit it or be straightforward about it, but, um, you know, it is, uh, many bands are businesses and brands and, if you don't want to treat it that way, that's fine. Just don't expect, uh, you know, the results of doing so. So if you truly don't care about the aspects of your business and so you don't want to treat it as a business, you know, that's true for many bands. But um, if you're trying to, you know, have growth and continue to expand what you're doing, then it's kind of important to keep these things in mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing to say. Bands are a business. If you're going to try to do this for your living, if you're going to try to pay your bills and feed your family off of music, then you need to treat it as a business, even if you don't want to. It's just, right. exactly. it's just what it is. And I know that that's like not... That's not the sexy thing to say. That's not the rock and roll thing to say, right? You're just supposed to not care and just go out there and do whatever, man. It's rock and roll. But all of the successful bands, even if they have presented themselves that way at various points in their career, everyone that's been successful has had somebody at the helm making those business decisions and treating it as such. Because sometimes us as artists are not that good at that <laughs> to be honest right mm -hmm. yeah i think i've i'm more prone to like the cold calculated decisions and brian the singer is definitely more of an artist and sometimes having the artist brain is great because it allows you to set yourself apart so you don't always go for the expected thing that's been proven to work and you kind mm -hmm. of branch off into new things that haven't been done that also pay off in a different way. So it's uh, very good to have a meeting of the minds between the creative mind and the business mind um, and come up with something that represents both. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think you can have your cake and eat it too. You just need to, you just need to be aware, aware that both, that both mindsets exist and they're both important to the success of whatever the project is. And again, a lot of these things just apply to everything, even if it's a restaurant, you know, <laughs> like you might want to serve organ meats, but you also should probably have a cheeseburger there for, for folks too, at the same time, you know, there's, there's Absolutely. reasons to do both. Yeah. So, so what do you think lies next? Are you guys working on new music? Or are you going to be 
doing more touring? Obviously, the answer to that is yes. But what what is immediately in the future for you guys? Right. It definitely. Uh, I've never really picked between the two. It's kind of always both. Um, just because I see no reason to slow down. Um, so yeah, we are, you know, having a bunch of touring this year. We're, you know, doing more touring in the U S um, and overseas. And I do want to spend some time this year working on some new material. Um, even just some ideas, just to get a head start because the album, I guess whenever this is released, the album will be out around the same time. Um, so I, you know, I'm technically getting a head start if I start writing now, but uh, the more ideas I get down, I think the better spot will be when it is time to start uh, thinking about releasing more. Absolutely. Do you notice a difference in the crowds, either the response or the way they behave uh, across the U.S. for sure? But is there a big difference between the U.S. and, say, Europe or anywhere else you go overseas? Or does everybody kind of kind of do the same moves? Um, that's a good question. I haven't noticed anything crazy different. Um I think maybe certain parts people get more in like a certain country, like certain beats or melodies may resonate more. But um, yeah, the usual feedback I hear from other bands is just that uh, people in Europe are more brutally honest, uh, especially Germany. Um, they thought you were better last time you played there they will tell you that ouch <laughs> i yeah. guess you, it's good it's good you know, it means it keeps you on your game on your a game right but that's still never easy yes. to hear yeah but i i think yeah compliments are kind of a distraction and actual feedback and criticism is really what you can grow from it's a good way to look at it you seem like you have the personality that could mm. absorb all of that in a positive manner. Is that an accurate observation? Yeah. Um, I think so. Like if I, you know, see someone, even, yeah, even someone that doesn't necessarily have any qualifications to be criticizing something, I still like to listen to what they have to say because they're not the only person out there like that. There are plenty of listeners out there who don't necessarily know anything about music, but they are perceiving it and they are probably still a fan of music and, you know, their opinion still matters. Even if they're not a musician, they're still, you know, someone that could be coming to shows and may be more or less apt to come to a show based on, you know, what they perceived the music or performance as being. Yeah, that's something I think that's very important for us as musicians to realize. Not everybody, in fact, almost nobody, dives down the rabbit hole in the same way that we do. And I realize that I don't listen to the two songs the same way that my wife does. My wife's a massive yeah. music fan, and but she's a music fan. She's not a musician. So she doesn't listen to song structures and think about them in the same way. I'm always trying to like analyze and, Oh, what can I take from this? And, Oh, this is interesting. It, and I sometimes wish I could go back a little bit and stop doing that. But I, it's something that's almost impossible to turn off once, once you have. So you have to get those opinions from somewhere because that is the largest consumer of music are people like that. They're not people like us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so sometimes the uh, grab, grabbing your buddy is, is is a good method. When which mix sounds better, you know which uh, which arrangement yeah. sounds better. Yeah, just because they you know just have a different perspective that's still important. Mm -hmm. 
We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually gonna help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chaseless Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chasing Blitz and Good Hurts. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about lossing, I invite you to head over to chaseblintsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. So do you have any tips from the road for anybody that might be listening to this that's thinking about going on tour or maybe you've done some local shows and are wanting to branch out you've been around for a while and you've done a lot of touring do you have any tips that people maybe don't think about yeah um i think you know getting your merch merchandising situation in good running order is very important um since that is a lot of the income right there. Um, so just examples are <clears throat> making sure the merchandise of our brand, people would actually want to wear or purchase or what have you. Mm -hmm. um, making sure you have space in your transportation to, you know, bring the, the right amount of it. And it really depends on your scale if you're really just starting out, you might only need um, one or two boxes versus now we can't really even fit more than 50 boxes. So we'll have up to 50 boxes at a time, but, um, and, you know, have shipments scheduled and stuff. But, um, yeah, just making sure that stuff is in order, um, making sure gear is protected in road cases and it's not floating around in a mess where it can get broken. So investing in that type of stuff. Um, just making sure if you're going to travel all the way somewhere, you want to give a great performance and sound great. Rather, you can just go for the fun of it, but if you, know, you are trying to grow the band as a business, you do want everything as perfect as you can get it. So don't go all the way somewhere until you are absolutely ready to. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously you don't want your vehicle to break. So, uh, investing in that. So you're not missing shows is important, but yeah, a lot of this stuff is experience and it's stuff you might not think about until something bad happens. And, you're like, oh, now that that's happened, I won't let that happen again. So, yeah, just having spares of all, everything you possibly can, too. That's a that's good advice. Yeah, the van is sometimes <coughs> the the old van is sort of romanticized in some ways. But 
having something that's going to start every time will make your life significantly easier <laughs> versus the alternative. Yeah. If you can afford it, obviously, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. But um, that's a that's a underrated piece of equipment is a good, solid van <laughs> or vehicle, whatever it happens to be. Absolutely. And at the beginning, when you're not even getting paid enough to put you know a quarter of a down payment on a van versus you're getting to the level where you can buy half a van or a full van after just one show um the it it changes your mindset a lot Mm -hmm. when you uh are purchasing at first because buying something seems so expensive and then later on in your career it's more of like a drop in the bucket and necessary to complete the full tour uh luckily we haven't need to buy a full van in the middle of a tour yet good 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 hopefully hopefully never but it did happen to silent planet um uh actually maybe even more than once wow but um yeah so it hurts when it happens but yeah when you're at a certain point it's definitely a better business move to complete the shows than to just um, not spend the money on a van and cancel everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, this has given me flashbacks to when we bought our first winding machines. You know, we were like, man, this is going to be, this is so much money, but it's going to enable us to get our quality up. It's going to enable us to do all these things. And uh, now we're just sitting here going like, well, we're probably going to have to buy some more winding machines. And it's just more of like a, f- a fact of reality versus a big what if should we question. It's just like, no, we're going to have to do that at some point. It's a lot of money, yeah. but the alternative is uh, to stop making strings. So, <laughs> yeah. And any time spent without the things you need is definitely time that could have been spent growing in. Expand, mm-hmm. which you don't want to miss out on that. Oh, 100%. Well, we are knocking on the door of the end of the main episode of the podcast. And before we jump into Patreon, I got a couple of classic questions I like to wrap the shows up on. But before I do that, I like to give the guests a chance to take the floor. You're talking to a couple thousand people right now. You can say whatever you want to say. You can shout out your grandma. You can plug anything you want to plug. The, the floor is yours, sir. Awesome. Um, so Current's new album The Death We Seek will be out on May 5th this episode may be out but make sure to listen to that Um, we'll be starting our US headlining tour in support of the album May 11th Uh, make sure to come see that if you're in the US Um, if you're in Europe Shadow of Intent will be playing the European festivals this summer in August. Nice. Uh, those dates will be on our page. Um, and those are all the big things. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Here we go. The classic questions. This one will be interesting because you kind of said you're not much of a pedal guy, but I asked this to, of everyone. What is your favorite boss pedal? Ooh. The only boss pedal I've ever owned is called Digital Delay. So ah, give it to that one. Like the DD3 or DD? I, there's so many DDs. I can't remember which number. I think so. It's it's white. I know it's white. Mm-hmm. DD3 is the classic one. They've got tap tempo ones and all kinds of other versions now, but DD3 is the one most people have, and I think it's underrated. I love okay. a good DD3. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and this is the one that gets slightly controversial, slightly dicey, but. It's uh, it has to be asked. It's been it's been asked of every guest. What is your favorite kind of pizza? That's a great question, and we were just talking about this today because we're getting after show pizza for all the bands. So definitely a big chicken bacon ranch fan. Mm, um, mm-hmm. But one pizza I've been craving a lot lately is cheeseburger pizza. So that means it has cheese. It has mac sauce, it has ground beef, and after it's baked, pickles and lettuce are added. So the pickles and lettuce are not baked, but they're added on top. I haven't had that one in a while. I've really been wanting it again, and I don't know who around me makes it. 
Um, but really, any kind of pizza with dressed up chicken, such as chicken parm or barbecue chicken or sweet chili chicken. Oh, big, just a, big chicken guy. It's a great combination. Yeah. Yeah, big chicken. For pizza. I like For pizza, definitely. Right. Do you have any favorite... <laughs> Favorite pizzerias, any local ones you want to shout out, or any that you've had on the road that yeah. stood out in your mind? Yeah, half a mile from my house in you know, Beacon, there's one called Sal's Pizza. Um, highly recommend that one. Sal's Pizza. Where where did you say that was? Beacon, New York. Beacon, New York. All right, Sal's Pizza, Beacon, Beacon, New York. Shout out Sal's. Chris, thanks for hanging out. This was a really good time. I enjoyed having this conversation. And uh, you dropped some yeah, some good knowledge bombs on the people. I appreciate that very much. Try to. Right on. Well, we'll slide over to Patreon. Let's see what kind of nonsense we can get into over there. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, All right everybody. For Chris, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty, folks, there you have it. There's another episode in the can. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation Please make sure you follow Chris on all the socials. All that stuff is linked in the show notes. Give him a shout out. Let him know that you enjoyed this episode. Let him know you got something out of it. Share this episode with a friend. That is the main thing you can do. One of my favorite podcasts says, force your friends to listen. You force them to. And I think that's probably just fine. You can force your friends to listen to it. That counts too. It means a lot to me. If you force your whole friend and family network to just download this podcast incessantly. That would be wonderful for me. Uh, hopefully they would like it too. But no, seriously, thank you to everyone who tunes into this every week. It really does move the needle for me. It literally keeps the lights on, pays the bills, all that stuff. Thank you so much for letting me be able to do this. I absolutely love it. And I could not do it without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And if you want more of this conversation... There's more over on Patreon. All you got to do is go over to patreon.com slash tone mob. And for five bucks a month, you will get access to more content. You'll get bonus episodes just like the one I recorded with Chris. So you can have extended versions of this podcast. And I hope you like them. I truly, truly do. Thank you all so much. Please, please, please be good to each other. And no, I appreciate you. Thank you. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, 
We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis. Punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurewitz. And up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music. And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.